and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oaklawn Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Uh, hi, everyone. I am Kate Nazary. I'm the executive director of Eating with the Ecosystem, and we're a small nonprofit based here in Rhode Island, and we do work focused on local seafood and sustainability. And hi, I'm Sean Contos. Um, I use he, him pronouns, and I'm the program director at Harvest Kitchen in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. We are a part of Farm Fresh Rhode Island. All right. Thank you both for joining me. Uh, a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about how both of your organizations help Rhode Islanders eat locally, eat sustainably. But before we get into that, let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading? So I guess the book I've read most recently was Delicious by Ruth Rachel. Um, She normally writes like more food writing, um, nonfiction type pieces. Um, But this is like her foray into fiction. Um, So it takes place in New York City at like a food magazine, like Gourmet Magazine, which she used to be like the editor in chief of. Um, But it's a fictional magazine called Delicious. um, And it's um, this young girl who starts working there. And then the magazine kind of gets shut down. And she's left with this kind of like... um, communications position, basically fielding all the calls for people trying to do recipes, comments and complaints basically coming in um, and kind of her experience there in New York City. And it's just kind of a fun, um, light fiction book, but it's got like some great food information in it and also just kind of fun characters, um, like people that she works with at the cheese shop and all the customers that go in there or um Part of the book is like her going into the archives of the magazine um, and finding kind of old letters that take place between a young girl and James Beard um, during World War II. And so there's some cool food information about like victory gardens or other ways that people were preparing food back then, um, which was kind of neat. Sounds very cool. Like food centric fiction. Yeah, it's just kind of like fun and light, but it's got a lot of great food information in it. So if you're a food nerd, I feel like it's, it's a good one. What about you, Sean? Uh, lately, I've been reading Gardens of the Moon by Stephen Erickson. It's uh, high fantasy. It kind of takes place in a different continent where there's a lot of different power struggles between multiple different groups going on. Uh, there's some high magic elements. and um, it's, it's interesting. It's very much delves deeper into like the politics behind, um, you know, struggles within countries and different uh, thoughts and and minorities and ethnic groups in the area. So it kind of parallels to the world we live in in a bit. Um, It's, it's very in depth. It's, it's a little long. I think there's like 14 books in this entire chronicles that um, get progressively longer and I have less time on my hands going forward. So we'll see how many of them I get into. Um, But I mean, anybody that is, into you know things like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or the Wheel of Time series or anything like that uh, definitely would be a good one to look into. Um, and there's there's no shortage of uh, material, being that there's 13 or so different novels based in the entire series. That's like in my partner's wheelhouse. He read all of Wheel of Time last year, and then like after reading Wheel of Time, was kind of just like, I don't know what to do with myself. Like he kind of like said that a lot of other books kind of like paled in comparison to Wheel of Time after reading Wheel of Time. 
And the fact of, like, series being shorter, so, like, not having this time with that setting that, like, a longer fantasy series like Wheel of Time does. Um, So maybe you can check that out and have another marathon uh, (laughs) book series. Uh, So my book, it gives me fantasy vibes, but it's written by a science fiction author, and there is technology, and it does take place on, like, a moon of a fictional planet. Uh... But I am currently reading Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. Um, I'm reading it on audiobook, and it's only a four-hour audiobook. So quick read, uh, no matter what format you do it in. Um, but so far, I'm really enjoying it. It's about um, there is like a, a monastic order in the society, and they have their own kind of like pantheon of gods, which is kind of why it gives me a real like fantasy vibe. Um, and there is this monk of the goddess of small comforts which i think is like a fabulous domain to be a goddess Mm -hmm. of and uh one of their main kind of jobs is being a tea monk and so um the main characters decide to turn over a new leaf and go out into the community being a tea monk which is basically like serving tea and and sitting down and talking to people and like listening to people's problems um and uh yeah, because it's such a short book, I don't know how much more I want to say. But there were also there were also robots in the society, and it's been two hundred years since humans and robots had interacted. Robots like became conscious, and then they were like, "We're gonna go in the woods and live by ourselves. Uh, we'll come back if we want to, but please don't bother us." And humans were like, "Yes, okay." We, we did this wrong against you by making you do manual labor for us. And now that you are conscious beings, we're going to let you like go off and do your own thing. And so um, that era of separation of humans and robots is coming to an end as part of this story. And uh, and there is a very cute robot. And yeah, I don't want to spoil too much more because it, it's been wonderful, like just going through it and uh and I want people to enjoy it as freshly as possible. <laughs> so besides reading, have either of you been watching anything interesting? I've been watching a lot of reruns of Seinfeld, <laughs> um, which I feel like is classic and just so easy to just throw on when, um, in the background. Um, but I guess the most recent like newer show that I watched was White Lotus, the second season that takes place in Sicily. It's on HBO. The first season takes place at a, like a hotel resort in Hawaii. Um, and it's about all the people that are visiting kind of the resort and staying there. The second season has one carryover character, but the, it's basically a whole new set of cast. And you can kind of start from whatever season you want. There's not necessarily a ton of carryover. Um, but basically, it's again about the guests that are staying at this resort. Um, but you find out like first episode that someone has died um, and you don't know kind of who it is until the the very end so there's a mystery aspect to it um some of the characters are kind of just like not great people but like you kind of like know this from the beginning kind of so just funny stuff and then um it takes place in sicily so there's some cool scenery and it's beautiful okay when you were first describing it i was like oh that's not what i thought that show was about because i thought there was like a mystery aspect yeah the mystery is like you know like from the beginning that like someone has died and you just don't know who it is. Um, so there's, there's that the whole time that you're speculating on which character you think is the one that ends up dying or who did it or um, who was involved. Um, I also have been watching Seinfeld reruns for <laughs> know, probably like the fourth or fifth time in my life. 
But um, as of new things, uh, my wife and I have been watching The Last of Us on HBO, which is engrossing and entertaining and also not always for the light of heart. It can be a little heavy at times, a little dark. Um, but so far, uh, I, th- I think the acting is really fascinating. The, the plot line is also it's a different take on the quote unquote like zombie horror um, with a much deeper may- maybe scientific global warming background to it that that, that has a uh, premise throughout the show um, and interestingly enough the beginning takes place in Boston which is you know fun for all of us that know the area and um, also fun for us knowing that you know, places that are 10 miles east of or west of Boston are don't look like the Rocky Mountains. And <laughs> but we'll, we'll see where that takes us. And as far as something that's more lighthearted, also on HBO, for whatever reason, we've been watching The Climb, which is a, a rock climbing uh, reality show, I guess, a contest, whatever you want to call it, with... Um, which I'm not necessarily interested in rock climbing, but it's something to put on when you just need something kind of in the background. And also um, fascinating that these people do what they do on a regular basis. Um, But yeah, those are pretty much what I've been watching. I didn't even think HBO was like doing reality shows. So that's something that's news to me. Yeah. It's, it's more of like a contest show, I guess the, you know, the contestants have, have a specific climb that they have to do. And then if obviously if you don't make the climb, then you're on the chopping block. If you, if everybody makes it, the person that goes up in the slowest amount of time is on the chopping block. So it's, it's entertaining. Like I said, I I don't rock climb. Um, I find it fascinating in that sense, but, and beautiful scenery. It's most of it's filmed in Spain and Mallorca and, and Jordan and whatnot. So interesting places that are not shown as much. Hmm. Something that I've been watching as it's been coming out um, that I haven't talked about yet on the show, um, but uh, season two of The Legends of Vox Machina, which is on Amazon Prime, is out. Um, and it is a animated adaptation of popular D&D stream Critical Role's first campaign. Um, and so I didn't really watch the first campaign. I became a fan of their stuff in the second campaign. So it's been nice to kind of like in a much more abridged version, find out the story that a lot of fans really enjoy, even though I didn't come into the the fandom at that point. Um, so definitely a show for adults, but fun kind of fantasy romp that's getting a little more serious now in the second season. Um, but so if you didn't check it out when I mentioned it last time, First season's not that long, and uh, second season is now out, so you don't have to be left on too much of a cliffhanger after season one. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Cranston Public Library is pleased to bring poetry to our patrons all without leaving the comfort of home. No internet, computer, or smartphone required. A recorded poem read by a CPL staff member will be available every Tuesday afternoon. To listen, call 401-900-1090 and be sure to check back weekly to hear what's new. For more information about this service, please visit cranstonlibrary.org slash on the line. (music) 
Looking for another way to keep up with what's going on at the Cranston Public Library? Sign up for our email newsletter. You'll be among the first to learn about upcoming programs for kids, teens, and adults, and new services and collections coming to your library. Subscribe at cranstonlibrary.org. So I want to have enough time to talk about what you guys came here to talk about. Um, So let's start off with Kate. Can you talk a little bit more about eating with the ecosystem and the work that you guys do in Rhode Island? Yeah, sure. So um, as I said in the beginning, we're a nonprofit um, and our missions promote what we call a place-based approach to sustaining New England's wild seafood. Um, And our work really comprises of a combination of education and outreach, but also research, um, some supply chain facilitation, marketing, um, a little bit of everything, kind of seafood's really interdisciplinary, um, all around local seafood and fishing communities um, and sustainability. And so, yeah, we do kind of a combination of work all focused in that area. And... um... One of the aspects of your work that we here at the show thought was very interesting is that you guys put together a cookbook. We did. Yeah. So we worked with um, the University of Rhode Island on a research project um, a couple of years ago, initially. Um, and that project was looking at kind of the ecological abundance of some of our New England seafood species and comparing that with what our fisheries were catching. And then we did a citizen science project where we had um, just normal people help um, collect data on the availability of these local species in the marketplace. So they visited fish markets and um, recorded whether or not their species were available. Um, And then if they found their species, they actually bought them and they took them home and they cooked with them. Um, And they recorded their experiences, both like cooking and eating the fish and shellfish as well. Um, And so it ended up being a really fun project. And one of the things that we did as part of that project was create this cookbook um, where we worked with actually a Johnson and Wales um, team of chefs, well, one chef in particular, but some of his students to help uh, develop recipes featuring some of these kind of less popular local seafood species that are really delicious, but maybe people aren't as familiar with and you don't necessarily see in every cookbook. And the idea of featuring those species or types of, of seafood is because they're is more of them. And so there, there's like, it's more sustainable to eat those than maybe other species that are less abundant or are being overfished or things like that. Yeah. So at Eating with the Ecosystem, we have kind of what we call our five anchors, which are really like our principles of sustainability when it comes to seafood. Um, and when we talk about seafood and sustainability, we talk about it's like our interactions as consumers, as humans, kind of with those species or with the ecosystems, um, the fisheries, as what's sustainable versus like the individual fish or shellfish as being sustainable. And one of the things that we think is really important is really diversifying your diet and eating a wide variety of local species instead of just eating one or two species, right? Most of us, when we think of seafood, maybe we think of like one or two species that we're kind of comfortable eating. But um, there's a lot that's out there. We catch over a hundred different species um, commercially in New England, um, in Rhode Island even. Um, and so there's a lot to choose from. And a lot of times we kind of just ignore some of these species that are super abundant and productive. Um, and 
actually very tasty, but maybe we're just kind of less familiar with, or we didn't grow up eating. Maybe you don't know how to prepare a scup or a skate or something like that. And so um, our cookbook helps consumers, you know, find recipes for some of these species that it's not as easy to just open any cookbook and find kind of. I don't think I've ever even heard of a scup. I think I've heard of a skate, but. Scup are actually some are like biggest fisheries here in Rhode Island. Um, they're in the top four of our of our landings for Rhode Island fisheries. Um, and they look kind of like your stereotypical like cartoon fish. They're silver. Um, they're kind of like that perfect fish shape. Um, they're similar to, I guess, maybe like a snapper um, that people might be more familiar with or sea bream um, if you've had those before. Um, but they're kind of medium to mild flavor. They've got a little bit more flavor than say like a cod, um, but they're not super strong flavor like a mackerel. Um, and they're really versatile. You can prepare them a lot of different ways. Um, we even serve them raw, um, like as a crudo, but you can do them in a ceviche um, or, and you can do a whole roasted fish. They make a great fish taco. Um, so there's a lot you can do with them, which is really nice. And they pair well with a lot of different flavors, I think. Awesome. Uh, Sean, can you talk a little bit about Harvest Kitchen and the work you guys do creating and providing local food for the market in Rhode Island? Yeah, definitely. So Harvest Kitchen, we are a program within Farm Fresh Rhode Island, which is a nonprofit in the state. Um, but as, as a program, we've been around for over, uh, over 13 years. We've always just kind of been in and out of uh, soup kitchens and basement kitchens and whatnot um, throughout Pawtucket and Providence and whatnot. But since we have moved to Pawtucket, we have our own brick and mortar here on 2 Bailey Street, right downtown, smack dab in the middle of Pawtucket. Um, and we've been here for a little over six years. So within our program, we work with students uh, age 16 through 19 that are within the Department of Children, Youth, and Family in the state of Rhode Island. So most of our students come from Providence, uh, Central Falls, Pawtucket, maybe a little bit of like East Providence, maybe a little bit of uh, Cranston or whatnot. Um, but generally speaking, we, we work with about 40 youth a year. We have four different, uh, you know, class times going on. We, we work with them in the morning and in the afternoon, in the fall through the winter, and then in the late winter through the spring. Um, but we do job training with them, culinary-based, uh, basic food service skills, retail skills, prep skills. Um, we also work with farmers throughout the state and, you know, surrounding areas. And we will take a lot of their B-grade and excess produce that would often go to waste and we'll turn them into a value-added product, um, i.e. our shelf-stable pickles that we make, um, applesauces, stewed tomatoes, any kind of jarred product that we can acidify and make shelf-stable that we can then um, sell throughout the state at the farmer's markets and through Farm Fresh's uh, market mobile service. So in, in that sense, we are able to support ourselves through that and also support the farmers by buying this excess produce off of them so less is going to waste. And on top of all that, like I said, we have a little cafe in Pawtucket. We have, um, we're open Monday through Friday, 10 to 3 for mostly lunch, a little late breakfast and lunch. We offer catering throughout the state. Um, we, in the winter months currently, we're doing a Valentine's Day take-and-bake meal that people can order um, 
crafted by us and our students that they can throw into their ovens and have a nice, easy um, gourmet meal at, at home without having to go out. But we we just we're we're doing a lot of different things, all based around you know the idea of getting local produce to the hands of the community and also utilizing as much local produce as we can and working with our students and helping them succeed in any way that we can. Fantastic. So uh, this is a question for both of you. If people are listening to our conversation and they are like, yes, I've wanted to eat more locally, more sustainably in the new year, what is some advice that you have for them? I think one thing that I would say is to not be afraid to like just try something and try something new. Um, I find with seafood that there's a lot of intimidation kind of that people are just, you know, not as comfortable cooking with things or trying different species. Um, And I would say just try something, try something that you haven't tried before. um, And it's a good way to branch out. Worst case scenario, you don't love it and you try something different. I think the cool thing about seafood is that there are so many different varieties. And so even if you don't like one type of fish or one type of shellfish, there's a lot of other options out there um, for you to try. And there's a lot of different ways to prepare that fish. So maybe you don't like that fish in a tomato-based sauce or something like that, but you do like it with lemon and butters and capers or something else. Um, And so I think there's a lot of options out there. So don't get stuck um, just trying kind of one or two things and really branch out and diversify. Yeah, I I echo that a lot. I I come from a background of doing whole animal butchery and I was a chef for years and whatnot. And I was always a big proponent for, um, we'll call them the underused seafood and the the underused cuts of meat and whatnot but when when you're going to a store and you're when you're when you when you start getting into that kind of thing you realize that there's really no um like there there isn't just a lot of uh, ribeyes or or tenderloins in a cow or whatnot you have to find another use for the other with the other cuts of meat that are getting underutilized and whatnot so i'm a big big fan of that but also just like growing up for whatever reason, I, maybe it's my parents' generation, but like I didn't grow up eating things like parsnips or Brussels sprouts, probably because they grew up hating them and whatnot. So when I started cooking with more, se- when I started actually cooking with seasonal produce, I realized I love root vegetables, <laughs> Brussels sprouts, and they're super versatile. They don't have to just be a boring thing that's boiled and put on your plate or whatnot. There's so much more you can do with it. So just even now, even though there isn't a lot of options as far as um, local produce in the dead of winter, you can still go to the farmer's market and you can still find things that are interesting and colorful and nutritious that you maybe not find at your local grocery store. So, Sean, you point out that in the wintertime, in a place like Rhode Island, obviously we aren't growing as much fresh produce as we are in other warmer times of the year. So do you have advice for people um, to still, you know, have veggies and have produce in their diets during the winter time while still like trying to be as local as possible? Um, yeah. Um, most of what we have now is, is stuff that is easily held um, through cold storage or whatnot, things that can last for a while. So like, root vegetables and tubers and all that kind of stuff, um, which is great. And, we, you know, you can still get local apples and whatnot throughout the rest of the, you know, until the end of the summer and whatnot. But um, even, you know, with, with like Gotham Greens in Providence, their greenhouse, they're growing 
fresh lettuces and whatnot. You can get them at the store. You can get them at Market Basket and Stop and Shop. It's great. But I, you know, in the winter, even if we are tired of roasting things in the oven and, and you know, maybe you want a quicker meal or whatnot and things that are nice and easy to meal prep, like butternut squash, sweet potatoes, those things you can roast. You can season them the way you want, get a hard roast on them, still make salads in the in the wintertime with some fresh radishes. Um, you know, it, there's plenty of things that we can do with them throughout the winter. You maybe... They're not, it's not like the springtime or the middle of the summer where you can kind of just like compose a raw plate and call it a day, which is great, but it takes a little bit more preparation, I think, in this time of year. And um, I see, I don't even really know. Kate, is there like a time of the year? Is wintertime also kind of a lull time for fishing and seafood? Is there a time of the year where things are more scarce than other times of the year? So, we have local seafood year round here in Rhode Island. We're really lucky um, that way that there's there's some species that do stick around literally all winter long, um, or there are species that are still in um, somewhat nearby waters, but maybe they've moved offshore or into deeper waters. So the fishermen still have access to them and are catching them and bringing them in for us to enjoy. Um, so we actually have quite a good selection going on right now. I was at at Dave's um, supermarket this morning um, and they had local fluke there. They had, I bought some skate wing um, for my dinner, um, which is a great species in the winter. Skate's one of my favorites this time of year. Um, they, But they had some monkfish that looked beautiful. Um, a lot of our shellfish like cohogs are actually being caught, you know, year round. So those are great um, to enjoy, you know, anytime. Um, oysters are being harvested right now and are, are delicious this time of year. Um, there's, so there's there's a, quite a lot of options, scallops, um, scup you can get actually year round. Um, so yeah, a lot of options actually still in the winter. We do see kind of the most variety and the most diversity um, in the summer and fall. That's when we just have a lot of those warmer water species kind of that have come up north um, and are kind of closer to shore. So if you are a recreational fisherman or like the fish yourself, um, you have access to a lot more of those species just from like the shoreline, which is nice. Um, but we have a really good variety of species year round here, which is really nice. I'd say like probably our slowest season is actually the spring um, or the like early part of the spring kind of. Um, but this time of year in the winter, we still have quite a, quite a good variety. And you talking about fishermen going out and catching it made me think of that. I feel like a big thing that's confusing for consumers related to seafood is the whole idea of like wild caught versus farm raised. And I know like that's a big thing. And it's from what I understand, each thing is sustainable depending on what type of species you're talking about. But could you talk a little bit about the difference between those two and what people might want to look for in terms of eating sustainably? Yeah. So in terms of like wild caught versus aquaculture in Rhode Island, we have very strong, like very strong fisheries management and really um, great wild capture fisheries that are all highly regulated. Um, so you can feel very comfortable and good about eating Rhode Island caught seafood in general, whether it was farmed in Rhode Island like via aquaculture methods or harvested through different wild caught methods. Um, like eat Rhode Island seafood. It's great. Very sustainable. But in terms of like the differences kind of between um, aquaculture 
practices. Um, there's a lot of differences in aquaculture, just like there's a lot of differences in farming. Um, aquaculture is literally just, you know, farming of, of, of seafood, basically. And so while just like in farming, there could be, be small scale community farms that your neighbor grows a variety of different vegetables or raises chickens and that kind of thing. And like that's typically really sustainable and shows diversity. And um, they're doing practices that contribute towards their community and make sure that they don't have negative ecosystem impacts and all of that. The same kind of goes for aquaculture. We In Rhode Island, we have some great oyster farms in particular. Um, there's a lot of shellfish farming in Rhode Island. That's kind of our major um, aquaculture that we have here is shellfish farming, which are oysters. Um, you can do some clams. You can do scallops even to a certain extent, although there's not a lot of people doing that. Um, mussels, that kind of thing. Um, and so those are all bivalves. They are you don't require any food that we're feeding them from as humans. So they actually just naturally feed off of what's in the water, off of the nutrients and the plankton that's in there. Um, so they're actually helping to clean up water, um, our water quality, and they filter water just through their natural feeding processes, which is really great for the environment. They also through the methods that they grow them, they provide habitat for wild-caught juvenile fish and shellfish. So that's another benefit. Um, and, there's a lot of great things that are happening kind of in terms of um, the aquaculture practices in Rhode Island. Um, another really cool, I guess, fishery um, or product, aquaculture product that we have is kelp um, that you're seeing kind of more and more kelp farmers get into. And they also have really great environmental benefits, um, carbon sequestration, and um, and that's a more seasonal product. So the kelp's currently growing right now. They've set all their kelp lines, um, and they send that in kind of the end of the fall, um, and the kelp's currently growing over the winter right now, and then it'll be harvested in the spring, typically around April um, time period. And so that's when um, you'll actually start to see it kind of available for market. Um, and so they're actually doing a New England Kelp Harvest Week this year with the Sugar Kelp Cooperative. Um, and so they're trying to encourage more chefs and restaurants um, to utilize it and have it on menus. Um, but home cooks can get involved as well. Dried kelp's a great product that you can then preserve and kind of use year round. Um, or you can freeze it and there's, there's other methods to use it. So we've got some great aquaculture products here um, in Rhode Island. The thing that we don't really have much of is fin fish in terms of aquaculture. And I think that's honestly a good thing. Um, when you get into aquaculture, there's many different kind of ways to, to do it. And as I mentioned with the farms, there's like that small scale kind of community farm, but then there can be like those mass GMO like farms that are using a lot of chemicals and pesticides. And it's kind of similar in terms of scale, in terms of fish farming. Um, the, fish farm requires a lot of inputs um, like food and that's not necessarily always coming from the best sources or the healthiest ingredients um, and there can be a lot of environmental impacts through fish farming and so we don't currently have any fish farms really in Rhode Island um, and I don't think that's a bad thing um, necessarily but we do have some really great aquaculture through their shellfish and kelp and that kind of thing. We've actually been working with a couple of different um, kelp farmers that trying to do a shelf-stable line of kelp products. We've done pickles with them. We've done, uh, we did a mustard with them. We've done a salsa verde. So we, we've also been trying to incorporate that into what we're doing too. Much of our season. Awesome. Yeah, and, and it, it works out well too because much of our season goes from like July to like April. And then that's, you know, we, we do applesauce and whatnot, and apple chips with our students until until the end of April, early May. And then we have like May and June, there's not really much 
for us to do in those senses. So that's when the kelp comes in in May, and we're actually able to do a, another seasonal product for, for the community and for the farmers. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Rhode Island Food Trend 2023 <laughs> kelp. Let's make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> so is there anything that either of you want our listeners to know about your organization that we didn't already cover before we wrap up, like upcoming projects, um, anything like that? We do a fair amount of like educational public events and we've been doing um, what we call our cook a fish, give a fish classes, which are online cooking classes um, in partnership with the Cornell Cooperative Extension, where we teach people how to prepare some of our local species and you get to cook along at home. Um, and then all the money from the classes goes towards the seafood donation program um, that is providing local seafood to people that are experiencing food insecurity. Um, and we, the seafood donation program that in Rhode Island that we're a part of is with the Commercial Fishery Center of Rhode Island and the Rhode Island Food Policy Council. And we actually have a refrigerated unit that's stored at in the Farm Fresh parking lot. Um, so it's a nice partnership with them as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's um, those are kind of fun programs that people can kind of get involved with and learn to cook a little bit more, but also support um, feeding feeding people in your own community. Um, and they can find out more information about Eating with the Ecosystem and all of our programs on our website, which is just eatingwiththeecosystem.org. We have a lot of resources on there also, like recipes, um, we have entire, and how to fillet fish guides and things like that. Awesome. And uh, Harvest Kitchen, we've been in the process for about four years now for opening up a processing facility in Providence at 10 Sims Ave in the new Farm Fresh building over there. And we are almost done with our build out and we will be doing a grand opening in the spring at some point more forward as uh, as we start planning things out. But um, over there, we'll be able to revamp our jarred product line a bit, um, scale it up, which will be great. Work with some more students that are at the older end of our population to train with and have a little bit more of a manufacturing uh, component to it. And we will also be doing things like lightly processed vegetables for universities and hospitals and institutions. So things like peeled and cut local carrots, um, for instance, and uh, a condiment line for local universities utilizing um, excess produce and, and lots of and produce that's just generally abundant in the area. Um, so that's one of the uh, exciting things that we have coming up on our end as well. And uh, if people want to support either of your organizations monetarily, is there a way that they can do that? We definitely accept donations. <laughs> um, we've got a link on our website. Um, if they go to eatingwiththeecosystem.org, there's a tab right at the top um, that is a donate button. Um, but they can also go to eatingwiththeecosystem.org backslash donate. Yeah, and we also obviously would love donations as well. And it's, it would be at the farmfreshri.org slash program slash harvest hyphen kitchen. And that will have all the info for our program and the cafe and our catering information and also where you can donate as well. And there'll be uh, links to Instagram and Facebook for updates through social media. And we'll put links to both of your sites in the show notes. So no worry about the link not being exact uh, read out. Um 
All right. So we like to wrap up the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish-related question. And so I know Kate, eating with the ecosystem, had made a cookbook. But if both of you were individually to write a cookbook, what kind of like type of food or theme would your cookbook have? Um, I like actually cooking seafood, so um, <laughs> might come as a surprise. No, um, yeah, I probably would do a, a seafood-related cookbook again, but maybe just um, a little bit different, kind of. I think it was fun um, working with the Johnson & Wales chefs to prepare like recipes, and we made them all very home-cook friendly and stuff, but if I was to do a cookbook that like was just me writing it, then it would be recipes that how I like to prepare some of these different species um, in my own home, um, and so I think that's probably what I would do. Um, I, coming from the background I have with butchery and whatnot, I used to do a lot of charcuterie as well. So, uh, something like a, a cool sausage book would be great or, you know, <laughs> being able to make, um, you know, smaller, smaller batches for in-home use and smaller pâtés and terrines and riettes and more fun things that you can throw in there with all the, uh, the good parts of the animals. <laughs> I just love it. It's like, what kind of cookbook is it? Well, it's a cool sausage book. (laughs) That's a (laughs) title. It's a cool sausage cookbook. Yeah, I love that. I would read a cool sausage cookbook. Um, All right. Um, So thank you both for joining me. Um, And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to answer our last chapter question for this week or submit your idea for a last chapter question, you can do that by emailing us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. You can also reach out to us via social media with hashtag downtimecpl. And if you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Elena Rios, Nomi Haig, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent those of the Cranston Public Library. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The Cranston Public Library name, in all forms and abbreviation, are the property of its owners and its use does not imply endorsement or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. The content of this episode is the property of the Cranston Public Library and may not be reproduced without express written permission. Join us next week for more Downtime. I was like, I'm glad we did this episode after lunch. Like you were describing like fish with like butter and lemon and capers. And I was like, ooh. That goes well on a lot of fish. Yeah. (laughs) Can't really go wrong.